Gather round, circle up, fill the cup, spill the tea Just believe, just believe the diamond dogs are here And that means that you're not alone We get one shot at this life And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try The diamond dogs are here All right, everyone, welcome back to episode eight of the Diamond Dogs podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jason Barnaby, here with my fabulous co-host, Beth Rashley. Hey, (laughs) so we are uh, digging into the big game, Man City. So lots is going on here with the game and outside of the game. Dr. Sharon suffers a concussion after being uh, hit by a car while biking. This is this whole scene of her getting in her groove. Uh, Ted winds up bringing her home from the hospital and sees a number of empty wine and spirit bottles. There's also a book. Didn't, I'm wondering if Beth. I didn't notice. Oh my gosh. Is there a book? Uh, and I missed it. Oh man. Well, did you catch it? I did catch it. I well, rewatched it. Job. So I would get it. All right. So we'll bring that up on that later. Can Sam uh, anonymously arrange a dinner date and find out uh, when they arrive that they are each other's date from banter. So the, the spoiler that, you know, all the mystery and intrigue comes to a close. Rebecca is not so terribly excited, but Sam convinces her to stay and is like, Hey, you know what? If the worst thing that happens is we'll have a good dinner. And um, they were, they, they do kiss when they get back to Rebecca's house, but uh, agree that it's not a good idea to take the relationship any further. Roy in one of the best scenes I think ever is called into Phoebe's school and realizing that his swearing is having effect on uh, an effect on Phoebe. And uh, if you haven't seen this, you just have to watch the scene with the teacher calls the kid because Roy is not offended by what Phoebe said, Roy wants to know if it's true about the kid, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. And what's awesome is the teacher says, well, yeah, it is true. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, Richmond gets to play at Wembley Stadium for the first time against Manchester City. So there's a hilarious Hoosiers. Oh, that part made me so that, happy. That Ted tries and it, it doesn't work, but he doesn't give up. So I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they suffer a crushing loss. After the game, Jamie's dad, who we've seen before, he's just such a jerk, comes in and bullies his son like in front of the teammates and the coaches. Jamie finally has enough. I mean, you can just see it building and building and decides to retaliate and punches his dad. Beard escorts him out. Um, Roy winds up embracing Jamie, which is an incredibly powerful scene. Uh, Jamie breaks down and cries, and the scene really triggers Ted into calling Sharon and confessing. So now we finally really peel back the onion that his father died by suicide when Ted was uh, 16 years old. And then, uh, you know, in true, let's end it on a happy note. Rebecca and Sam ultimately wind up spending the night together. So spending the night (laughs) together. We were talking about uh, very mixed feelings about this Rebecca Sam storyline. I do. Cause like on the surface and for sure, if the gender roles were different, like if it was a man who was as much that much older than a woman. Yeah. I think it would feel icky. Ooh. I, like, so you I, know guess, I, I guess mean? we're starting there, kids. I don't Here know. Like, Let's I just stick right into that. I have some, Come on. I have some feelings also, you know, like in general, not good for leaders to date 
subordinates. Yeah, like, I mean, that's a bad let's idea. call that out right, right at the beginning. It's just, I mean, yeah. even she even says yeah, once, she she's like, Sam, I'm your boss. Yeah. Like, so she has full awareness of it. She does it anyway. I mean, there's sometimes the heart adorbs. wants what the heart I wants, get, though. Beth. Yeah, I get it. And also, it's also like a don't shit where you eat situation. Yeah, like sometimes the heart should not, not want what's in the office. Yeah. Somebody's got to leave the office then. I don't know. Yeah. I think that, that it's got like, although I've simultaneously like, like the pairing and I'm totally grossed out by it all at the same time. Mm. And I think two things can be true, you know, like that's. That's okay, but I don't know. I think we would all feel differently about it if the gender roles were switched to, or I would feel differently about it. Well, yeah, that's interesting because I'm sitting here listening to you thinking I didn't even think about it in that in that context at all. Like I didn't flip it in my head, think about, just didn't. So that's because, you know, which is funny because for me, like I'm kind of like rooting Sam on. I'm like, go Sam. You know, like get the older lady mm-hmm. who's like super rich you know, and successful. Yeah. All the things. It's just, it's got the, ick fa- it's very the icky. ick factor. Interesting. It's got the ick factor for me. Again, I don't like, I. it's a very mixed emotion, but I think there are some things, especially because this is all taking place in essentially a workplace that it bothers me. I think it's not ideal. It's not an ideal storyline. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. I definitely like got my hackles up on it a little bit. When you like pull up from it, you're like, oh no. All right. So now that we've gotten the ick factor out of the way, what else should we, where should we go now, friend? Well, I think before, because we really have two, well, I mean, we have three things going on, right? We got, we got Sam and Rebecca, which I think we've kind of just covered. We've got the big match and we've got this whole dynamic between Ted and Doc. And I think we start with Doc because that's where things, you know, that's where things start with Sharon. So I think this is interesting. And I knew this before watching this episode only because my wife is in grad school to be a certified mental health professional. And that is that therapists have therapists. The, and somebody out there in, in therapy land may, Correct me on this, but based what you have is you have a supervisor. Mm-hmm. You have somebody, and that's that supervisor is somebody who is going through your cases with you, making sure you're not pulling in those issues into your life, making sure you're not triggered by the things that they're doing, making sure that you're not giving them advice that is really meant for you, that there's no projection. It's very complicated. And I did not realize that this was a thing, but it's definitely a thing. And what I find very interesting about this is that she has been talking to her therapist about Ted Mm -hmm. and how he deflects and how he does, you know, these these different things with humor. And she's got some very specific she's like, you know, he'll deflect and make some comment that only a middle aged white man from (laughs) middle America would know which I found to be very funny. Her therapist comes back and says, basically, would you do the same thing? You just do it with your intellect, not with your humor. And she makes a very intellectual sounding comment and is aware. Yeah, that was a great, I I loved that like call out because I do think it is, it's it's sides of the same coin, right? Like they just have a different coping mechanism. Right. But they're both like master deflectors. Yeah. And I think it's... um, I think that's also a common thing for um 
I'm going to make some inferences here. I think that's often a thing that therapists can struggle with because they are so focused on other people (laughs) that it can be really hard for them to like turn their attention back inward. There are a lot of coaches that struggle with that too. And I think that's, that's an interesting storyline. I think that's a, both an accurate common storyline. I think an interesting one, the way that they lined that up. Um, The other thing, just to say like, too, like you're, because um, Eva's like currently in training, part of her going to therapy is like part of supervision, right? But I think what happens like post, like once you're licensed, it becomes just like a recommended right practice, right? Is that correct? Because right. that's yep. that's my impression. So I just want to yeah, be because we, that, my so wife yeah. and I, had a couple's therapists who said that she always paid for her own soup. I think it's still called supervision, but she always paid for her own supervision. And she said that that like paid for it out of her own pocket, that the the practice didn't do that. And that that's what she attributed a lot of her growth and her ability to be the best therapist she could be because she, it's like a coach having a coach, right? Yes, like, which, yeah, which I do. Like yeah, I, same. and I've had periods of time where I have not had one. Right. And always feel, always struggle more when I don't. And, and just that like once a month spot. And I do sometimes talk to my coach about clients that I'm struggling with. Like if I'm all, that's all intertwined. Yeah. And because sometimes it's just helpful to talk to another person and get their perspective on right. Huh. What else could I try here? Like what? And I believe it is her supervisor, right. Who tells Dr. Sharon that she needs to be able to meet Ted halfway and let her defenses down. That's what she says. Well, it's her therapist. Again, I'm not sure about the supervision component here. Okay. Like, I don't know that that's what's happening. Okay. It could be, um, it could be what's happening, but for sure it's her therapist. Yes. whatever role that is, which, so I love the way that the show sets it up. Like what better way to be vulnerable than when you're hurt and you need to ask for yeah. help, right? And how yes. hard that is. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, um, and it's just funny watching her because she's like listening to some rap music, I think. And she's like bebopping down the street and but she's like still like picking it like mind your dog like he hates oh. that sweat like just oh, picking that whole on scene people was hilarious just, yeah she's just like dropping like little like you fix your life you do this yep. you get out of the way watch where you're going i just i i find it interesting that he's the one that winds up there why we find out later because i think he said she left him 38 <laughs> voice messages yes and uh, some she's singing, some she's like just calling shit like it is. And mm-hmm. like, so it's kind of funny because again, you know, the truth comes out in different things. I think that's why a lot of people, you know, I, I'm reminded of my college days, like I'm going to go talk to that beautiful girl, but first I have to drink six beers so I can, you know, let my defenses down so I can then go do it. And because um, what girls really love is a super drunk guy like that is a super effective <laughs> pickup technique what everyone is looking for is yes. a guy who just drinks six beers that's now going to hit on her yeah that's slobbering the and makes, yeah. yeah there it is kid way to go we all go to college thinking that we figure that out yeah yeah play this for your college friends it doesn't work matt had a strategy of just how much like he wanted to be the one who could drink the most because he thought that was impressive oh also yeah women and th- i was like uh-huh. no that was thank you for that strategy. Cause that's why you were still around for me to pick you up when you were 32, but like, no, that's not a good strategy. So, 
somebody gave you false information. That is not what girls are interested in. That's so funny. All right. So let's continue on when, uh, when Ted gets to doc Sharon's apartment and, uh, you know, he walks in, it's corporate housing. It's pretty sterile. You know, there's, there's several empty bottles of wine and liquor on the, and I, I love Ted's like, Oh, you know, he just kind of, he yeah. does he's just, yeah. he just looks down. He's like, oh, oh, and he's just making these noises and he's, you know, looking around. And, uh, so the book that is on her table, interesting. It says it's called the middle passage from misery to meaning in middle life. And Ted's like, oh, you know, it's kind of, and see, I'm, I'm, I know we say this over and over and over in this podcast, but it just goes to show you, here's this wicked smart lady who's like helping these players be amazing versions of themselves, who is struggling to find meaning herself. And it just, I just think it bears repeating that it doesn't matter how much people look like they have their shit together on the outside. Oftentimes on the inside, it's a dumpster fire yeah. and we just, we just simply have no idea. We yeah. just simply don't. Yeah. I, I think that is so true. That's interesting. And I love that you caught the book reference and I didn't. I, I, I know. Look, that. I'm oh, learning. Boy. I'm learning know, from you. That. No, I just, I also feel sad that I didn't notice the book. Cause that and then I, I think there thing. are, uh, I think there's a cut. There are a couple really funny quotes here you know Sharon says <laughs> Sharon says do you want some tea and he's I love it it's he's still so visceral in his reaction oh hell no yeah uh and she's like and she's like oh she then says I have water or wine and he says oh chicken and the egg mm-hmm. you know like he gets really <laughs> it's just funny it's just <laughs> funny uh, it's and so that you good. have to do that other one about that he does at the hospital. Oh my god, I thought I was gonna die. Which one? <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> yeah, no, you do that one because I don't remember where that is. That from oh, a it's song? So funny. Yeah, it's because it I think rang, it's from a song. Is it from there? A song? Ain't no something like a no, something, yeah. I mean, I think you can do it with pretty much anything, but basically, they say, okay, he's. Somebody has to like go home with her, take her home, or they can't release her because it's a hospital policy. And he comes back with, there ain't no policy like a hospital policy because hospital policy don't stop. I like burst out laughing. There it is. Oh my gosh. So So thank you. Thanks to the, thank you for the Googles. Ain't no party like a West Coast party. Because the West Coast Coast party don't stop. That's what it is. Is it from a song? It's from a song, right? Yeah. It's from, it's uh, surprisingly West Coast party. Oh, that's the song. Who's the who's the singer? Coolio. Oh, nice. I love that it's cool. Of course, there's so uh, West Coast Party is actually the name of the the, yeah, the song just with a and there's a DJ Marcy Mark mix remix out there from October third, twenty ten on the Googles. If you oh, kids nice. want to go out and take a take a yeah. listen of Ain't No Party Like a West Coast Party because West Coast Party don't stop. Coolio, cool. I'm a lay low. That's, that's right. What I remember from Coolio. So didn't Coolio also sing Gangster Paradise? He did. I love that love song. Us, love us some Coolio. Yeah. Love that song. All right. So we've got uh we've got the Ted and Sharon thing. That's still gonna continue to move on. I feel like um, we have one more funny part we have to say before we move on from that. Okay. Sharon. The part where he calls her doing he calls to check on her and he does impressions. Yes. 
I thought the Kermit, it's so good. It's the best Kermit I've ever heard. Kermit Kermit the Frog here. Kermit the Frog here. Just falling to, oh my gosh. I thought that was hilarious too. Yeah. He's and a, I love that, like, he keeps checking up on her. He does leave, even though you can tell he yep, doesn't really want to, but yep. he's still checking in on her, making sure she's okay. Well, and also just like she gives him the water and he's and he and she's like, all right, I need to get some rest. So he just stands there and guggle guzzles, guggles, guzzles the water, guzzles yes. this whole thing with like lots of noises. And it's just authentic Ted again. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a phrase that he says since we're talking about this because I think he says it to Sharon and she cuts him off and he says I always say fears a lot like underwear and then he doesn't finish it and I want to know what yeah that references to the oh, par- apparently a lot of people were asking ah fears a lot like underwear if you don't change it you have to sit in your mess <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was an unexpected response. That is not where I thought that was going to go. Right. It's unexpected. Where do they come up with this stuff? So I do love that, like, as part of that storyline, too, I think that that moment that they have of, like, support does encourage Ted to finally confess to her that his dad committed suicide when he was 16. And and the situation that happens with Jamie's dad really triggers that. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the I just love the vulnerability that he finally shows there to share that. You can tell how hard it is for him to share it. He really like sobs while he's telling her. Yeah. You can see there's like an emotional release in finally saying something about it. And I just really loved that confession kind of. Well, and the other part that I, that if you watch that scene, you know, she picks it up and she's pretty businesslike because why she has her defenses up, I think. Right. Cause she calls him coach lasso. Right. Yeah. And, and, but by the end of the conversation, she's like, I'm so sorry, Ted. Yes. And, and she start and from then on, she starts calling him Ted. Yeah. Which, hello, vulnerable opportunities will change the way that you interact with people. You can't have an interaction like that and then go back to being formal. Yeah. And that's why, as leaders, we need to let our guard down. Because it will change the way that we interact with people. It will change the way that our people see us. It will change the way that we see our people. And I think I've brought this up before, but this conversation that that I facilitated a couple of years ago, these two men who hadn't talked, like each shared some things that were very personal, like tears on both sides of the table. And it had a profound effect. And I just... I just I want to plead with the leaders who are listening to this. These these guys stayed on opposite sides of the table metaphorically for five years. And it's like if we would just have the conversation, if we would just and and this whole BS about like, well, somebody else, like somebody else needs to go first. No. Yeah. If you are a leader, you go first. Yeah. Period. That's yeah, it. I think that's a good like that's a good segue into the scene where Ted finally confesses yes. that that what happened when he left the field was a panic attack. Yes. And I think the thing that we just we discount too often when it comes to vulnerability, it it is hard. You know, it's hard to share something like that with colleagues at work. 
but vulnerability every day of the week and twice on Sunday breeds more vulnerability. Yes. So what ends up happening when he shares what happens is all, <laughs> all the other three end up sharing something else. All the other four. Cause Higgins four. Is oh, there. that's right. Cause Higgins is there. Yeah. yeah. They all end up sharing something. And like some of them are pretty hilarious too. Yes. Like, Oh my gosh. But I love Roy's just like, just throw it, you know, he's like, I don't read the scouting reports that you send me. They're boring and I won't do it. I mean, he just like yeah. takes a stand and they're like, okay, thanks for right. telling us. Yeah. Like right. nobody like Higgins confesses like a mistake he made that led to them yeah, not getting a player they issue. wanted. Nate confesses. <laughs> I like Nate because Nate's. we get, we get some insight into like how uh-huh. busy his mind is, right? Yeah. How much he wants people to have a particular impression of him, which we've been talking about this whole season, but go. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he shares that, you know, like it looks like I'm coming up with ideas in the moment, but really I'm just finally saying ideas that I've had in my head for months. And everybody around the circle is like, Ooh, nice. Ooh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Like like, there's just this great, I forget what Beards is. What was Beards confession? Oh, Beards says that he, uh, drank he was accidentally on oh, mushrooms, mushrooms during oh, one of the that's games right. and then the they, the greatest part of that whole yes is well the, what don't oh don't gosh. say that part yet so oh. the reason that he was accidentally on mushrooms is because he drank tea out of the wrong oh, pot God. from jane's and what i love is that roy looks at him and names it's the game, the game. Yes. he's like that get whatever it was yes. and beard's like yep and he and and roy just goes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like <laughs> yep and and you know <laughs> he says it won't happen again yeah. and this is so great in the tea saga so we have two oh, tea things here right gosh. like when ted says hell no and then this part with beard so you got to take it so oh my good. gosh it's so, <laughs> so as they're leaving the room you know after this confession scene ted says to beard so you're all fancy now drinking tea and beard goes i didn't know how to tell you <laughs> so funny and heartfelt like he can tell that it's, it's gonna right. be oh, so funny like you can tell that that's something beard was struggling with yeah. and i think it's fantastic so funny oh my it's gosh so their friendship is just i love it so much well and what i also love about this too is again like their friendship is great but beard has no idea that ted had a panic attack and you can see on his face when he says it beard's like ooh, yeah and when everybody else walks out which sets it up for them to have the conversation about tea. But when everybody else walks out, Beard hangs Mm -hmm. and he's the one that says to Ted, are you all right? And I love that. Like you miss that because that's what you would expect them to do. But that's, that is your tribe member that you trust that, that would go to the grave for you, like checking up on you. Everybody else has moved on, but Beard's like, "Mm, pause. There's something here that I need to, I need to figure out. And it's, you know, and, and all of that, you know, then they, they go out to, to the, to the game and the game is a complete disaster. And I think now we can talk about this, this whole scene with Jamie and his dad, who's just such, he's just such a dick. dick. There's just no other word for it. And Jamie even says it. Yeah. Jamie like, even says it, but, but so let's set it up. Right. Cause Jamie goes to Higgins. Oh, is so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh Jamie my goes to Higgins and he comes down the stairs and he knocks on this door and he opens the door and there's Higgins sitting in the broom closet. And, and Jamie's like, he's like, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm just waiting for my office to, I think he says my office to exist. Yes. And he he's like, so, so I'm, funny. so I'm here. 
And they start having this conversation. And Jamie actually says, like, I'm just trying to get tickets for my dad. He's a dick. He's like, you know, uh, and, and, uh, you know, Higgins is talking about his dad and Jamie goes, well, he goes, he goes, I just, with my dad in every situation, he reacts like a dick would react. And Higgins, I love Higgins says like, I try to love my dad for who he is and forgive him for who he's not. Yeah. That's real good. Like Higgins again with the dropping of the knowledge. Higgins dropping the mic. Real, real good. It's so good. The knowledge is so good. And And I think uh, that is a really great mindset for thinking about relationships with parents as you get older. Because I think we do have more awareness as we age of like, yeah, like they, I can look back and know my parents made some solid mistakes. I'm certain that I'm currently making some with my kid. Yep, same um, over and here. so all all you can really hope for is exactly what Higgins says, which is just, you know, love yeah. love us for who we are, forgive us for for the things we do wrong. Yeah, because we're gonna get them wrong sometimes. Right now, and then, Jamie's dad's getting them wrong way more often than the average parent, right? Because he's just such a jerk. But and I do like Jamie's reflection on Higgins in the closet because he says, yeah. you know, Higgins is like, it's not so bad if I spill anything. I'm I'm right here next to the stuff to clean it up. And Jamie just looks at me and goes, That's very, very sad. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's just appalled by the whole situation. Poor Hag- Higgins and all his tuness. Like he is so like oh. <sighs> and then when fair. he's and then when they're all done, Jamie's like, Do you want to <laughs> do you want the door closed or open? And Higgins is like closed. I get less questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great scene. <sighs> and the way they pan back, and so you could just see Higgins yeah. in the broom closet and the door closing. It's so good. That's yeah. it's just it's so good. So, uh, you know, fast forward to this situation where, you know, his dad comes in and he's wearing a Manchester City jersey, um, Jamie's old Manchester City jersey. So it's got, you know, Tart's name on the back and He's just, he's a jerk to the team. He's a jerk to everybody. And he, so he does all that. And then he has the audacity, which is what a dick would do. He has the audacity to ask if Jamie can get him and his buddies on the pitch to take some pictures. And Jamie's like, oh, I don't want to, you know. So when, when he finally pushes back on his dad's, when his dad really goes, goes nuts. And uh, Jamie finally winds up turning around and walking away. And the dad's like, don't you turn your back on me. And that's when Jamie just turns around and lets him have it and, and knocks him, knocks him down. Yeah. And again, this is where it's good to have a tribe, right? Cause beer just jumps in. He's like, all right, you're out. And he basically yeah. throws him out yeah. and uh, smacks his head on the door kind of for good measure, which I thought was, was great. But that whole thing, watching that whole interaction triggers that whole scene for Ted to go call Doc yeah. Sharon um, yeah. because of what he remembers from, from his dad and the whole well, deal. So. And I think the scene is such a great, um, I think about this a lot with like leadership teams and how they come together. The mix here of the type of leaders that all the coaches are is such a great collection of different styles. Yeah. Because they all react differently. Like Nate yep. is clearly so uncomfortable with all. Oh thing. my gosh. Nate's like, where is the trap door to jump out of this right. place? Ted is also uncomfortable because he's got his own stuff he's dealing yep. with. Beer jumps in and leaves him, but I he does not have the capacity to actually deal with Jamie. That's not Beard's 
strong suit. So what ends up happening, which is really remarkable is Roy ends up just walking up and giving him a hug and Jamie just completely breaks down with the whole. So again, like the whole team's watching, like it could have been Isaac as the captain, you know, I love that it's Roy. And if you watch that scene and I, I watched it a couple of times, um, when Roy does it, Jamie doesn't respond right away. Yeah. He doesn't hug him back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I think so oftentimes leaders want to make a grand gesture and they feel uncomfortable. So if it's not reciprocated, like right away, you're like, well, I'm out. Like it didn't work the way. And Roy just hangs in there mm-hmm. and Jamie winds up completely losing it and breaking down. And it's so powerful. It's just so powerful. Yeah. And, it's a uh, great, it's, it's a great way of providing what Jamie needed in that moment. Yep. And I love that it's Roy. I do because again, we get to see that Roy actually has just a big old heart. He does. As, He's just such a squishy marshmallow. Yeah. Of okay, so speaking of Roy's heart, not to go like crazy, but the scene with Phoebe. Oh jeez. So oh my gosh! Funny. So he gets called into Phoebe's school, and the teacher says something like, "I think you need to consider the impact that you're having on your niece, who adores you." So anyway, he he ends up taking Phoebe home from school because she's been kicked out of school. <laughs> Because she was cursing at school. Yeah. And she's, this is fifth offense. So she she has to leave. And Roy says this sweet thing to her in the car where he says, sometimes I get concerned that I'm infecting you with the worst parts of me. And her response is, which I love, is she said he, because he says, you're better than me. And she said, I'm as good as the best you. Yeah, I know. Uh, From the uh, mouth of babes. From the mouth of freaking babes. Sweetie. So yeah. yeah, I just that whole interaction really cute. And then the comedy comes in. Like I thought I had to go back and watch it a couple of times because I was like, what is happening? So she goes, she goes, want to come in and play Princess and Dragons? And Roy goes, if I can be the dragon this time. And Phoebe's like, no. And he goes, fine, but you better have fixed the wand. <laughs> so he's gonna be the princess. <laughs> He wants to make sure he's got a working one. I thought I was going to pee my oh, pants. It was so great. Oh my gosh. It's so great. The way they infuse like just layer after layer of sweetness and humor all at the same time. It's just, it's yeah, remarkable. So good. And the only other thing I think we really need to touch on before we wrap this one up is the, for those of you who, which we are from the, from the great state of Indiana, uh, where if you don't know, People from Indiana are known as Hoosiers. There's a don't game ask about, us why. That's right. Weird. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah, nobody um, knows. It just is what it is. We just accept it and move on without conversation. And there is a movie about a basketball team based on a true story. And the movie is called Hoosiers. And they go to this, you know, this from this little farm town to this huge, massive stadium. And Gene Hackman is the coach. And he gives this whole spiel about like, I think if you, if you'll know like he actually makes the kids take out a tape measure mm-hmm. and measure like how far away the foul line is and how tall the basketball goal is. And the kids are like, I don't understand why you're doing this. And he goes, I think you'll, you'll find that if you measure it back home it's the same he's basically saying it's the same deal so ted tries really (laughs) hard to do the same thing he's like i think you'll find that if you take away the stadium and all the other stuff you'll find that it's the exact same size as our as our field back home and and they're like no it's actually uh 500 square yards bigger or something like that ted's like what and he goes well 
then I I'm I'm just gonna tell you as as I watch Freddie Mercury play right over there during Live Aid, they're like, nope, that was the old Wembley. <laughs> and so I love it at the end because he goes, he goes, all right, so we're gonna do this. We're here at this Wembley, the one Freddie Mercury never stepped foot in, and we're gonna play our game. I love the fact that he like he had a plan. Yep. And he and he didn't give up. Yeah. He was the little engine that could on the whole Hoosiers thing, which was fantastic. Also, valid point that, like, why is soccer so weird that the field can be I a different size? Like, I don't why get is that. that not standard? Like, that seems crazy to me. I don't know if it's because it's a, but even still, like, if the, I was going to say if it's a championship thing, like, you know, it, you, you ratchet it up a notch, but that means the other teams are playing that play there weekly are playing right, on a bigger playing, field, yeah, so which means they have no a better sense. advantage when they go to a smaller field. Right. Because you're used to running further. So you're going to be fast. Right. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And the whole passive offsides is like, I thought that was offsides. Zach, he was passively offsides. Yeah. It's a, so. it's a straight, like it's a complex game that clearly we don't understand. And one other just great scene that you need to go watch if you haven't seen it is the haircut scene oh, okay. when Isaac gives a haircut because he only get, apparently only gives one haircut a season and Sam wants it for his date with Rebecca. And the commentators even comment on how great Sam's hair is. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this whole there's this whole thing and it's got a great quote, um, which I think you should take because it's just, pretty fun. It's, I can't even remember which which one of the guys says it, but you know they do this elaborate. I think it's Colin. I think yeah, and he goes, "It's like watching Swan Lake." <laughs> Isaac is so dramatic, and of course he's up on the platform again, right? And he's yep. just oh, yep. He's just there's hilarious. like a spotlight. He's in it. He's yeah. got his yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's so funny, and the the Dutch guy just doesn't understand it, and. And, and you know, when you watch the whole scene as a whole, it's a really cool team building exercise. Yeah. Like they're and it's, all excited. Right. It's an interesting, it, like leadership moment. It is. You know, like clearly for Isaac, this is like a way in which he provides some sort of like gift or love yeah. and support to the team during the season. Yeah. You know, like this is a service he does. Yeah. This is his version of servant leadership. There it is. One, yeah. one haircut, one haircut one per hair, member that's right. per season. Yeah. I just, I love that whole scene so much. Well, we are really excited to bring in our guest to dive deeper on vulnerability. So without further ado, let's do that. Are you leading people or dream of one day leading people? What are you doing to grow your leadership skills right now? Crisis Proof Leadership, where opportunity meets preparation guides leaders through the seven principles of prepared leadership and helps them focus on the actions that will get them results, even during times of crisis. The book is easy to read and filled with activities and tools that will help you put what you learn into action. Grab a copy today, wherever you buy books. And I can personally endorse this because I've read it and it's one of the most practical books on leadership that I've ever read. Go get one today. Right, so please join Beth and I in welcoming Carrie Skaronsky to the show today. We are so excited to have her here and dig into vulnerability and all the things that are in this episode, get her lens, but I'm not going to tell you about Carrie. We want Carrie to tell you about Carrie. So Carrie, can you just introduce <laughs> yourself to our audience and tell us what you do and just help us get to know Carrie a little bit? 
All right. Well, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Beth, for inviting me to this episode. Um, my name is Carrie Skronsky. I am the founder and CEO of Leadology, where we focus on developing leadership skills backed by the science and evidence of positive psychology. So that includes things like strengths. And uh, we really love to work with new managers. Like we love them. Talk about being vulnerable. Like that is to step into that role is such a vulnerable thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm also a Brené Brown certified dare to lead coach. So exciting. Uh, yeah. Very so exciting. Cool. Very exciting. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, just a little backstory We're on Carrie. So Carrie and I have been like Instagram friends. <laughs> So I think I, I think I came to you, Carrie, through Sharon Sesso. Like I, I am a huge Sharon Sesso fan. If you don't Same. follow her on Instagram, <laughs> you're just missing out on the most educational and random account on the internet. And in, in my, like, is that your take on it too? It's just so much fun. She's just so positive. I mean, I love, I love Sharon so much. Um, we were in a mastermind together and she's a friend I would say, and she oh, just I'm so jealous. I want to so, be friends like, with Sharon when I grow oh, up. Oh my God. Her generosity, her humor. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just love what she's doing. I think the world needs a little bit more of what she's doing. Oh, right? Couldn't agree That's more. Right. Yeah. And I know she's working on a book and I cannot wait for it to come out. Can't like wait. I can't wait for what that is. But in any event, somebody, part of what Sharon does in her community is she opens up a space for people to ask questions. So somebody asked a question that was like, I'm a new manager and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh -huh. so Sharon was like, I don't know what to tell you to do, but my friend Carrie, she knows everything uh -huh. about that. So she like links to your account. And of course, as someone who does this, I was like, well, I want to know about Carrie. So I started following you <laughs> and instantly was like, oh, she's got such a great Instagram account. So if you will, we'll get, have you share the uh, link at the end, but Carrie's a great follower. She's putting out some really high quality Instagram con oh, content. And just through like following you, I've been like, oh, I just love Carrie. And so we had this opportunity to talk about vulnerability. I was like, Carrie is who we're having on because she is. Oh, that's so nice. That, well, ditto, ditto. And I've also been like, oh, you're so cute. This book. Oh, oh my God. look at Christ. that. Crisis proof leadership. Crisis proof leadership. You're so sweet. Thank you. I mean, you and Brene have a lot of common. The values inventory yes. like, alone is like huge, but I love that it's like a, a workbook. Like yeah. I was like digging it anyway. We can talk about my favorite parts of it, but like, especially all the communication parts, because let's say like yeah. is a vulnerable role. So yeah, I yeah. so love that. Thank you for, um, having that at your fingertips. That oh my God. It's right so here. Fun. I have like dog-eared pages. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we I'm will also, we will also put Beth a link to Beth's book in the show notes. Um, yeah. You have to brought up yes, by Carrie. Yeah, all absolutely. right. Okay. That's It'll be fine. there. Look for that kids. Okay. So, um, we really want to dig in. So let's, let's just start at the very, very beginning of vulnerability. So what in your view, does it mean to be vulnerable? Like, what is that? Like, if we unpack that word, what's important about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, we can go with the definition that Brene establishes in her book, dare to lead that came from it emerged, you know, she's a grounded theory researcher. And so the, the definition emerged from over, I think, 200,000 pieces of, of data um, that she took a look at. And what she realized that is that, you know, vulnerability is, you know, anytime that we are, there's like uncertainty, risk, or emotional exposure, right? Yeah. Vulnerability is anytime we find ourselves in these moments of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It is also the foundational skill for courage. There is no courage without mm. vulnerability. 
Um, That's so true. It is true. I know. And so the the whole book, Tanner Lead, is focuses on those four skill sets of courage, which are observable, measurable, um, and teachable. Um, And vulnerability, rumbling with our vulnerability is like when we teach the course, it's a three-day course, the entire first half, the entire day and a half, first part of the agenda is all the different ways we have to rumble with vulnerability. What are the myths around it? Um, you know, the, the shame around it and getting really thoughtful about, you know, the, the people around us who deserve our trust or in our support section. So it's a really, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a heavy lift as a person. Yeah. And just, just FYI too, if you have not read Brene's book, Dare to Lead, and you're a leader, like it's one of the things, like when somebody asks me, should be required. Yeah. Should be required price of admission. (laughs) If you're being like, it's just a fantastic book, regardless of level, everyone should read it. Um, We'll link that in the show show notes. And I think, you know, I think there is, I mean, look, if I were forced to make nice with a pandemic and find a silver lining from the last two and a half years, I think we're approaching. Um, it's, I think we all are realizing now that there is a new way to lead. Yeah. And this is it. Yes. This is it, right? Yeah, amen. Like, empathy has to be a part of your leadership. Vulnerability is a part of our leadership. Courage has to be a part of our leadership. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy to get there but the results on the other side are far better than what was happening before this. And clearly the great resignation is proof. If you, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That piece that you said at the beginning, that there is no courage without vulnerability. I think that that's such a great gut check for anybody that's listening. Who's either a leader or working for a leader, because I I've worked for some very courageous leaders. I've worked for some very, um, not courageous leaders. And when you said that it triggered for me, um, the leaders that I worked for that were not courageous. I I wouldn't have said it at the time because they were, they were overbearing. They were mean. They were bullies a lot. Really. It's just, it's such an aha moment for me listening to you say that, because I would say that they were not at all vulnerable which means that they were not at all courageous. So where are they? They're coming from that scarcity, that fearful, that fearful space. And so I just think that's a great place for our listeners to have a gut check. Like, where am I in my own journey? And Mm -hmm. because I never would have said that some of those leaders were like, were not courageous because they seem courageous because they're so like, ah, Uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. When in reality, it is exactly the opposite. And I just, I think that's, I, I think that's, I'm just having a big aha moment in this right now. Love that perspective, but it's just a great place for us to gut check. And if you think that your leader is courageous, but they're not vulnerable, here's a, you know, here's that key to go. "Mm, Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think like you're talking about like the, like the, the, the chest pounding, do it because I said, so I'm the boss, right? Kind of leadership, that command and control. And it's really important that leaders are starting to make that shift. Like, no, it's no longer about command and control. And instead we've got to lead people from a place of meaning and purpose, right? It's not because I said so, but how do I get you connected to the work um, because of your, yes. you feel connected. I've done the work to help connect you to the meaning and purpose of what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
Um, but when you were saying like, kind of like the bullies, it reminded me of the um, moment in the episode when Jamie Tart's father was giving him a hard time after the game. And so Jamie Tart, of course, is always known as like, yeah. Who's got the sharp elbows constantly ripping on people, um, you know, will be the first one to, you know, make fun of someone. And, you know, we saw where it came from. Um, we saw yeah. how he armored up with that kind of behavior instead of being vulnerable to say I had a hard time with the relationship with my father and how that made me feel of like not being good enough and hustling for my worth. Um, instead, he was you know, exhibited all that bad behavior. And then he, an unlikely source of comfort um, came to help him. Right. Right. That moment with yeah. Roy is like a magical, that's, that's my favorite oh, part of this whole episode. So good. And not so even good. help him, but just hold space. Yeah. Him, right. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what it's I all mean, about. literally hold him. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. But like, that's the thing with vulnerability, right? Like I think that, and we saw this many times in the episode. So Every time someone showed vulnerability, the person on the receiving end met them with empathy and just held space and never once tried to fix it. Oh, right? yeah. Roy didn't try to fix it, say, hey, it's okay, you're better than that. He just literally held him. When um, you know, when Ted called, oh my God, what is her name? The therapist. Sharon. Sharon, um, to say that my father, you know, killed himself. Um, she yeah. just said, she, and he's like, I don't know if this is where all my issues are coming from. And she's like, no, it yes. is. And thank you for it is. And, and thank you for telling me she didn't give him any advice. She didn't give him any kind of like reflection practice. She didn't, she didn't step into therapist. She just said, thank you for telling me. And that's just holding space. Right. Like that, that is, um, part of that kind of system of, of vulnerability, right. To sh- when to first find the vulnerability to share something, but so much trust was built in that episode because of, of the way all those people chose to meet that other person with empathy. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes the other thing we, we took note of too, is there's that great scene with um, the coaching staff and Higgins where, you know, you know, Ted discloses that he's had this panic attack and they all end up like so often vulnerability <laughs> breeds more vulnerability, right? Yes. Like it, you're, yeah. you're leaving space for people to be like, oh yeah, like I've done terrible things too, or I've done something that maybe I'm ashamed of, or, yes. you know, like it just, it, it invites more of that. That's right. Um, and that's right. That's exactly what you say Beth. you know, one of our favorite quotes from the book is courage is contagious. Yeah. Courage is mm-hmm. So Ted showed up as the leader he was courageous. He shared, and not only was he met with empathy, but it was contagious. They all suddenly felt permission to be human and to open up, which was such a cool moment. It was a really cool moment. I loved that one too. I loved it so much. So I have a little bit of an off the cuff question that just occurred to me as you started talking. So I'm sure you've read, have you dug into Atlas of the heart yet? Renee's new book. Uh a, a bit. So I actually, it's um, an assignment of mine because a group of fellow coaches were going on a weekend retreat and me and one other coach were supposed to be leading a um, little book club. So I'm like, oh my God. So what I've been doing with Alice of the Heart, to me, it's like an, an encyclopedia. It is. It's a lot. It's hard I, to read. Yeah. Right. I ha- it's not a cover to cover read yeah. for me anyway. So I've been bouncing around. So yeah. yeah so it was, that was my same. And I'll like pick it up and I'll like read a couple pages and I set it down. So my stack over here of like, sometimes like before I start coaching a client or something, I'll just like give myself a little 
you know, reset moment. If I've been doing something else, I'll pick something up for a minute. And that's often what I pick up lately, but I wondered if you'd read, like, is there a near enemy to vulnerability? Like that piece of near enemy that's in that work. I just wondered for every emotion, there's a counter, like there's a, not that, but then there's something that like masquerades as that emotion. So I'm trying to think of a good example that she gave, but like, so let's say I'm trying to be empathetic. The opposite of that is, is off obviously like to withdraw or to um, maybe even solve is the opposite of empathy, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. like the near enemy might be sympathy Mm. where it's masquerading as something, but it's not the thing. Oh, so, so we do, you know, in the dare to lead program, we do talk a lot about how empathy is the antidote to shame. Yeah. How shame cannot survive empathy. Yeah. Like shame, Mm. shame, shame thrives in the dark, right. Um, underground. And when we, when we bring it up to the surface or if we shine a light on it and we meet it with empathy and shame can be, you know, minimized or, you know, just gone all, all, all together. But in terms of, of vulnerability, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. It's okay. Like I just, it's just something it, it made me think about it. Cause I think as we think about like operationalizing it, like if, if we're thinking about, okay, how do we do more of it as a leader? How do we integrate it? Maybe even to some of the things that we're doing. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, like making sure you're getting the real thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And not like masquerading it as something else, mm-hmm. like not trying to pretend it, but to actually do it. And I'm yeah. wondering what tips do you have for people who are just trying to kind of level up the vulnerability? So I think so much of it is even getting there. Like I mean, it's a whole journey to get there. Right. So I, I think the, I think the self-awareness is critical. Um sure doing the work, reflecting on your own examples, trying to dispel antiquated definitions we've had of vulnerability, right? Like what were we raised to believe vulnerability is? Like, I'll ask you, like growing up, what, what was vulnerability to you and your family? Not allowed. Not allowed. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know. That's for me. Like that's the first thing that gave me my mind. I would say that it, (laughs) it was allowed if you were willing to be called weak because vulnerability equaled weakness is weakness, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So it's not allowed. It's weakness. Um, you know, for, for us, it was something to be fixed or something that was going to, um, make us feel exposed for some reason. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, Midwest Catholic family, like there was, it was not, my mom and I were just having a conversation about this, about like, you know, why are so many kids anxious these days? She's like, I don't know. Were you anxious? And I'm like, mom, I wasn't allowed to be anxious. <laughs> yeah. I was not allowed to be anxious. Everything was fine. You're going to be fine. Just follow the rules. My, yeah. she's like, and, you know, I mean, she's like, well, what would, you know, if, if someone, you know, bullied you, I said, ignore them. You said, ignore them, not confront them, not set a boundary <laughs> and tell them don't right. treat that way or right. I will not engage with you. If you treat me that way, it was ignore them. Don't yeah. pay attention to them. Right. Yeah. So I think like, you know, at first we have to dispel, you know, our antiquated and, um, you know, uh, 
challenge just those old definitions of what vulnerability was. We have to think about um, physically, physically, where does vulnerability show up for me? What does it feel like, right? What are the things I'm thinking in my mind? What happens to me physically? And what are the things I might do? Right. So this is something we do in the class. So we take people through this journey. So to help them do that work, to find out like, how does that show up for them? Right. So, you know, you, you get yourself in a vulnerable moment, you know, when you maybe share something vulnerable, um, you know, what is that? What are you thinking? Yeah. Right. What are we thinking in that moment? Like, oh my God, no, this isn't going to go well. Or like, you know, where do we feel it in our bodies? Do yeah. we get that in the face? Do we feel short of breath, butterflies in our stomach? Yeah. Right. So there's a physiological um, impact, you know, to things like that. And so knowing where it shows up for us so that we know what the triggers are. And, and so this is the work we have to do so that I know. So one of the things that Brene says, and I'm see, here's the tangent. I'm going to go all over the place. No, I love that. One of the things that she (laughs) says that. I love, and that I have to keep reminding myself when I'm trying to be a facilitator of this work is that learning to rise is the fourth of the, uh, skill sets of courage. And she says, we have to teach people to rise before they fall. Mm. We have to Mm. teach people resilient skills before they, they fall. Right. We can't teach people resilient skills while they're down. Yeah, right? that's exactly that's right. right. Too yeah. much. We're not capable. But if I know right now, if I'm building resilient skills and something comes along a month from now that is, you know, bringing me these feelings of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, I'm more likely to be courageous and brave to lean into that because I know I've got tools in my back pocket to get back up again. Yes. So to do, to show up and be willing to be vulnerable, we have to do the work to know, like, what are my beliefs around vulnerability? How does it physically show up for me in my body? Um, You know, who are the people in in my life? Like who, you know, perfect for Ted Lasso. She talks about the analogy or metaphor of um, the arena. Yeah. Right. And so like, who's in the cheap seats? You know, who's in the, who are the people of power in the box seats with all the privilege who's in your support section Um, and being really thoughtful about that cast of characters in, in your life at work and at home again, so that we can make thoughtful decisions about, you know, when and how um, to be vulnerable and to share with boundaries is really important. Like all of that knowledge becomes power, but we've got to do the work and reflect. That was a very long answer to your question. No, I love that. And you know, I love that you started with self-awareness because I think that's super critical. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah. So Carrie, I'm a, and we've talked about it on the show before we're, we're both, I'm probably a little bit of a bigger geek when it comes to the Enneagram than Beth is. Just slightly. Um, but, just slightly. But I'm a, but I'm an Enneagram seven, which is a heart or sorry, which is a head triad number, which, you know, that means I basically come from a thinking space. So it's just very interesting for me to listen to what you're saying. Like, how does it show up in your body? And I started going to therapy about 18 months ago and was doing some work with my therapist around that. And he's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, the fuck do you mean? How am I feeling? Like, I don't know how I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't, what, what? 
Like, I don't even right. know what you're talking about. And so I just think it's so like this piece of the vulnerability puzzle, this whole like self-awareness and like, are you short of breath? Is your stomach doing, um, you know, flip-flops? Are your hands sweaty? Is your head swimmy? Like, I, I mean, a long time of my life on earth was spent like trying to not feel those things and mm-hmm. not understand mm-hmm. what that is and not get to that. And as a seven, like trying to find some shit to fill that hole as soon as possible. So I don't <laughs> have to feel those what other shiny <laughs> objects so, are out there to distract me from oh that? Oh boy, yeah. I got one. I got one of those at home. So I know this very well. <laughs> so for me, I'm just, you know, I know we're talking about like things that people can do, but you know, if you've got some, if we've got some people, which I have to believe that we do, who are just, you know, first of all, like this whole vulnerability thing was like, like what we all just described, like you didn't talk about, it was weakness. It was all those things. So let's, let's say somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I guess this vulnerability thing is here to stay. Like, I'm going to give it a shot. And, and they are just a completely not a self-aware person. Like mm-hmm. I have had been for a long part of my life. What are some, I'm always looking for like the simple do, the simple, like what would be something that you would recommend? And maybe it's something that you all do in your workshops to, to help me get in touch with my body, my responses, my reactions. Like I've heard people talk about like doing box breathing, which I had never heard about until, Mm -hmm. you know, for a couple of years ago, like just just breathing because what I realized was that I was holding my breath. Yeah, <laughs> because I was like, oh. um, so do you have some things that either for you that have worked well or for people that you have coached that you're like, Ooh, this is just, this is something that everybody can do. It's not Uber involved. It doesn't cost any money. It's like, you can do this right now, even while you're listening to the podcast. Yeah. I think it's anything that creates calm. Like we talk a lot and we do talk in the course about what is your calm strategy? What is your, Ooh, yeah, don't, okay. don't have one. Yeah. Right. Like what is your calm strat? I didn't mean, I didn't have one before I started doing this work too. I mean, you know, like, so it sounds like, you know, with you, Jason, like you're very, um, like you're a thinker, right. You are, you, you've spent your life in education and, um, you've spent your whole life trying to make sure you don't feel those things. Um, so, you know, for you, it might start to be like, even like rumination, right. You start thinking about all the ways you can, one of the myths of vulnerability is that we can engineer the vulnerability out of a situation. Um, and for someone who works in tech, like you can do that with your systems, but relational vulnerability cannot be engineered out. We've got to go through it. There's no getting around it. Um, so I think it is really about first noticing when that shows up for you. Um, Mm. And instead of trying to, so a lot of us do armor up with our strength. Yeah. So I'll say that. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if you disagree with someone, instead of, you know, having just a conversation, like learn more about their point of view, you might be ready to like bring all the proof and the data. (laughs) Why? Because you've done, you've already thought about it. Right. Um, and so like, and that gets really hard. Brene says it all the time. She would rather like sit in a pile of her data, uh, when things get really hard, she armors up with, with her research. Um, we saw that in the very opening scene of this episode where Sharon, right. That's her name. Mm -hmm. 
Um, she was on the phone with her therapist or her coach. Um, and she was saying just as soon as Ted's about to get vulnerable, he like, you know, has to get sarcastic and, you know, make some joke about something, um, usually about some like American middle-aged white man humor or something like that. She said, um, Ted armors up with humor with his humor and his positivity, right? Maybe even prematurely silver lining things. Oh, no big deal. Everyone goes through it. It's a part of life, you know? Um, And then the coach called her out and said, you armor up with your intellect and your academics. And so, you know, we, so that's really important self-awareness for us to have. Um, And then, you know, we can do something about it when we feel it starting to like bubble up. Right. So, um, so it starts with the noticing is what I'm hearing. Like just, just start like, okay, now that you've heard about it, start noticing, maybe you keep a a piece of paper next to you of like, Oh, I'm going to kind of watch for what, what happens when, (laughs) Exactly. And that is exactly the first step, right? Reckoning with the emotion, right? Rumbling with your vulnerability. And then, you know, Brene calls it the revolution, which is the daily practice. Um, So noticing, so I notice it right now. So is my, is for me, my part of my calm strategy, is it box breathing, which is very, very helpful. Breathing is so underrated. I I know we've heard (laughs) about this. Um, It's free. It's easy. Right. Um, it could be, you know, going for a walk, physical movement. I know for myself, when I start to get overwhelmed, um, my behavior, when I feel vulnerable is like abort, where's the button that will eject me from this situation. And that sometimes looks like procrastination at work. That looks like avoiding conversations. Um, and I know when I get out and go for a walk, a long walk, um, just moving my body, taking deep breaths, shifting my focus to something else. Halfway through that walk, I'm, I'm ready. Like I'm not procrastinating anymore. I have ideas. The ideas are starting to come back. I'm thinking about what I want to say in that conversation in a, in a, in a, um, in a thoughtful way, you know, so, you know, moving our body box breathing, um, leaning into what Brene calls your square squad. You know, she calls it, she says on a one by one inch piece of paper, I thought she was crazy. I thought for sure it would at least be a three by three. Uh, oh, right. yeah. It is a one by one inch. Who are the people that are going to meet you with empathy and honesty? And I'm not saying like, no, oh my God, Beth, you're amazing. You're amazing all the time. Everything you do. It's the people who are also going to say, Hey Beth, listen, I, I think you stepped out of your integrity there. I think you stepped out of your values in yep. that situation with Jason and it's okay. You can circle back. Um, you know, I just feel the need to, to, to hold that mirror up. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, those are those trusting relationships. Um, so it's like, we, again, you've got to have that plan because because when I have those tools and resources, it's like, oh, I feel that starting to bubble up. Which of these things is going to help me in this situation? Is it breathing? Is it physical mm-hmm. movement? Is it, um, what are the things I shouldn't do? Right? Like, so Brene says, oh, when she's good. starting to feel shame. She, she knows, she's like, I am not fit to <laughs> talk, text, or type or something like that, right? Like, that is not the time for me to be responding to emails. That is not the time for me to lean into a hard conversation. Um, you know, so it's, you know, we've kind of, kind of blended over into the the shame conversation, but, um, you know, I think all of this stuff, this awareness is all going to be really important to give us 
so that we're prepared. Yeah. And I think that is, is really good insight. And that thinking about like the ways vulnerability shows up for us as leaders, just in our ability to hold that space for others when they have vulnerable moments. So Mm -hmm. doing this proper for yourself, it's important for you. Absolutely. And it's important for the trusting relationships that you build with the people around you too. Yeah. And I think another thing too, that people can do, um, is also, cause I'm also a strengths-based coach, right? So I do very much believe in studying success. So I think it's also important to think about a time when we were brave, like think about a time when you were brave, when you were courageous, what role, what role did vulnerability play in that, you know? And so, you know, for me, I was thinking about a time when I had to confront a boss um, who had a habit of cutting me off every time I was talking. And every time I wanted her coaching on something, she would instead give me advice about something, which made me feel like my ideas weren't good, that she didn't think I was smart. I, I was very much taking it personally. And a mentor worked with me to help me practice um, responding the next time that happens. Cause he said, it's going to happen again. So you're going to have to confront this very vulnerable, right? To yeah. stop your boss in the moment and give yeah. them feedback. I mean, I'm, I'm like feeling nervous, just replaying the scenario. <laughs> um, and the very right. next time she interrupted me at what I had practiced saying with my mentor, I'm like, Oh my God, now, now's the time shoot your shot. Right. And I said, please don't cut me off. Please let me finish. It has taken me a lot of courage to say this to you. That was the sentence. Please don't let me don't, please don't cut me off. It has taken a lot of courage for me to say this to you. Now vulnerability. I have no idea. Uncertainty, right. It was a risk. It was uncertain. And there was emotional exposure. It was all there. I didn't know how she was going to respond. I didn't know if it was, she was going to take it well. I didn't know if she was going to retaliate. I didn't know. And what happened in that situation was she sat back, she grabbed a pen. She started taking notes about what I was saying. And what I realized was that it wasn't about me at all. It was that it was a blind spot for her. Yeah. And so. So good. So right. Cool. So suddenly I realized, oh my God, she, it's not that she doesn't think I'm smart she's really just excited about this. Um, so it made me have empathy for her a little bit and I'll tell you the behavior didn't stop, but we were able to have a sense of humor about it. I'm like, Oh my God, stop doing that. She's like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. sorry." So look at what that could do for relationships. Yeah. Right. Like I was ready to be like, Oh my God, I'm done here. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to leave. Right. I'm like losing hope. But because I had my mentor coach me, through a a vulnerable response, it was, we were able to course correct that, get that relationship back on track. And I don't know, I just really, it's one of probably one of the most um, important stories that I think about when in my career, um, thinking about how to approach a leader. I think it's a very vulnerable thing for anyone to give their leader. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. Oh my gosh, Carrie, I feel like we could talk to you all day and I wish we could, um, but I really, I want to make sure we leave our listeners with how can they connect with you? Um, so give us the name of that amazing Instagram account and just any place else. That's a good place for folks to follow along with you. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at it's get leadology. 
get leadology on Instagram. Um, and then you can go to getleadology.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter because we talk all things, Brene, all things, um, strengths. We talk a lot about empathy. We just talk a lot about leadership. We have a little bit of fun. So, um, head to the website, give us your email and we'll see you in your inbox once a week. I love that. Thanks so much for being with us, Carrie. We can't thank you enough. Yeah, it was such a great so conversation. Much. And um, oh my God, what are the guys' names? I can't even remember. Yes, hold on. I got um, it too. Yes. Um, what's his face? It's Will Arnett. Christian Beale. Uh, uh, what is his name? No, not Will Arnett. Will, no, is it? It is Will Arnett. It's Will Arnett oh, no, and Jason no, no, no. Bateman. It, and yes, it is. What's his face that's married to Kristen Bateman? No, no, right? no, it's no, oh, no it's, it's Jack. Oh, that's yeah. right. Oh my God. What is wrong with me? You guys, I had COVID like a month ago and the brain fog is real. Like I am, it's, I've heard that from a lot of people. I had it in April and I'm still struggling too. Oh my God. I can't finish sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to stop this. If you want to be the kind of manager who drives high performance and maximizes the potential of your team, join Activate. Activate is the program for overwhelmed managers who want to become influential communicators. You get nine on-demand modules covering the most important skills for being a successful manager, worksheets, conversation planners, and the real needle mover, group coaching dedicated to practicing the skills in each lesson so they truly become a daily practice. So if you want to increase your confidence as a manager, head to getleadology.com to book a call and tell them Beth and Jason sent you there might be a special bonus for listeners of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the Diamond Dogs podcast or wherever you like to listen.